What's up, YouTube? I'm Robert, and this is the Biker Channel and the Biker Bar. In today's episode, we have Mike from Full Flow Suspension. So um, basically, what Mike does is I'll actually let you explain your business, and then we can go from there. Well, uh, it's a shop, a mountain bike shop just in Auburn, California, and all we do is suspension. So you know, we don't bleed brakes. We don't do derailleur adjustments, uh, just primarily focus on forks, shocks, and the dropper seat posts. Right on. Yeah. So, and you've been in business for how long now? Uh, shop's been open for a year. For a year. And you're yeah. right there in kind of like downtown Auburn, like right uh, Just about, yeah. Just off of uh, Interstate 80, right as you come up into Auburn, you mm -hmm. uh, get off on Highway 49. We're kind of right by the in and out there. Right on. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good place to be. Yeah. You always got lunch, right? Heck yeah. Right across <laughs> the street. So, uh, how long, how long you been riding bikes? Um, God, I guess since I was like three or, or you know, uh -huh. whenever I got my first little 16 inch bike and, uh, yeah, kind of just kept doing it from there. I think I got my first mountain bike, um, I think 14, I think. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Middle school. And, uh, you might me asking, you're not a girl. So I can ask you how, how old are you? Uh, 29, 29. Oh, yeah. so, so young dude, man. Yeah. Right yeah, not, yeah. Not too old. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. Right <laughs> on. So, um, what, what do you ride nowadays? Uh, right now I'm on a pivot 429 trail uh -huh. and, uh, I yep. just got back from Interbike bike and Pivot was like the bike to have. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I heard they had a great showing at the the uh, outer bike thing at, or the dirt demo. Yeah, yeah. And um really awesome bikes, um great suspension design, the DW link on that. Uh -huh. And uh not only that, but I I think as a company you can really tell that their focus is on the, their details and the attention to detail and uh you can really tell that everything on the bike was was thought out you uh -huh. know, before it was built. So so I guess with that being said, you being a suspension guy, so is DW like like what, what you like? Uh, for me personally, yeah, I really like the way that it rides. Um, offers some pretty good pedaling, both when uh, the suspension's fully open, it's still fully active, but you don't get that sensation that you're losing out as mm -hmm. you're pedaling through. And DW, that's the same as what uh, Santa Cruz uses, right? Uh, well, it's similar. Santa Cruz uses what's called the, the VPP, you know. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and they're they're similar in the fact that the, you know, the rear wheel's never rotating around a single point on the frame like it would mm -hmm. as a single pivot bike. And uh, so that's why virtual, that, you know, is the big, uh, the key word there in Santa Cruz's design. And, uh -huh. and it's um, that point that their wheel is rotating around is constantly moving. It's, you know, it's never again, it's not an attached it's or not fixed, a fixed spot. It's not a fixed point on the frame. Exactly. So like what giant does with, I think there's his maestro. The maestro. Yep. Same thing. Yep. It's a, uh, some people refer to it as a floating pivot design would be the same thing as calling it a virtual pivot. Uh -huh. Um, and yeah, so there are numerous companies out now that are uh, all doing designs that, you know, are similar to that. And so, then each one will have its unique axle path. And, uh -huh. and that's what makes them so different is, uh, both the, how the wheel moves and then how the wheel makes the shock move uh, in relation to it. So the wheel moving in some cases up and down more or towards the, the seat tube more. Yeah. So like you that. can, they can do so like Maestro for instance, you know, pretty, pretty linear and then kind of just starts to kick forward towards the top of it. Uh -huh. um, there the older VPP bikes have, you know, like a little bit of this kind of like S shape path to it. Uh -huh. Um, and you know the design of, of that wheel path is all up to the engineers and how they want their bike to feel on the trail. Uh huh. So what um what kind of shock are you rear shock are you running? Uh, rear shock uh, just running the uh, float DPS. 
Uh -huh. And uh, I've got the Vorsprung Corset can on the on the back of that, which makes a pretty nice difference. Nice upgrade. We'll have to talk about the, the Vorsprung here in a minute. I'm going to yeah. pick, we'll, pick. We'll get into that. We'll get into that. Oh, yeah. Into the nitty gritty. So then uh, is that your rear shock of choice or is that um, I would just say because that's what it bike, was? Like? Bike dependent. Yeah. On that yeah. particular bike, you, you run into, it's a pretty short eye to eye shock. Um, so mm -hmm. that sort of limits some options as well. It's only a four and a half inch travel bike. Um, if I was riding something bigger, there were some other shocks on the market that I would be looking at. You know, one of the things I always kind of question and uh, especially being a bigger dude is like, what's the real difference between error and spring? Um, it's going to mostly just be a feel thing mm -hmm. uh, because you're going to be able to adjust your, your spring rate for bottom out control and, and sag, uh, regardless of whether you're on a coil or an air. Um, so there's going to be pros and cons to each. And I would say that uh, the bigger difference that's going to dictate whether a coil or an air shock is going to feel better on your bike is going to be the suspension design. Mm -hmm. um, so some suspension designs like my DW link, for instance, on my pivot, um, you really can't really run coils on them because, mm -hmm. you know, a coil having a, a linear spring rate, um, you know, there's a proportionate amount of force for each inch of travel that you compress the mm -hmm. shock. So on an air shock, you can, can like ramp up or exactly. ramp down. Oh, okay. Exactly. So depending on what. So, so when you're saying linear, just to like be clear for people yeah. that spring, when it compresses or decompresses is like the exact same amount of force, no matter what. Um, that's it. Yeah. Based on position. Yeah, so, yeah. so if you, if let's say it's for uh, argument purposes, we'll say it's a 350 pound, spring. Uh -huh. What that means is that it takes 350 pounds to compress the spring one inch. It would take another 350 pounds to compress the, the spring two inches oh. or 700 pounds total oh. to compress it. So it's inches. not the same all the way through. Uh, like it's the same. It's the same rate. Like right. if we put it on a graph, right, you know, right. I'll draw it this way for the yeah. guys on the camera. Yeah, yeah. So the, yeah, the, the rate would be linear. So, you know, you'd have a stiffer spring that would go up at a sharper rate or a softer spring, which would, but it would be straight. Up. Whereas a, exactly. an air spring has more of a curve to it, where Definitely. which way it goes. Definitely. Interesting. So what do you, what are you running up front? Uh, up front, I'm on a Fox 36, uh -huh. pretty big fork for the 429, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, I like uh, having a nice stable, stable front end. I mean, that's what's driving the bike and uh, pointing you where you need to go. So what, what, um, what, what do you, what do you think about some of the different technologies out there as far as like, I've seen like MRP has those little buttons on the back that let air out. Yep compared to like, I don't think anybody else does that actually. Um, there are a few others. I don't know if anybody else is doing it on uh, like that, you know, level of fork, you know, uh -huh. that kind of all mountain or enduro. Uh, what, what's the point of that? So the point of that is in inside your lowers of your fork is uh, essentially, you know, it's a, it's a pocket of air. So when you assemble the fork, you know, let's say you've got this much room in there. Mm -hmm. And as you compress the fork, that air will also you know, compress and act as essentially another little spring in, mm -hmm. inside your fork. So uh, if with both heat or uh, rise in elevation will cause, you know, pressure differences, and then you could have more pressure in your lowers than, you know, than zero at full extension. Uh -huh. So then that'll add harshness to the fork. So the point behind the bleeders is to just equalize the pressure in your lowers oh. with the air outside. Would it be possible that what, they could be off kilter too or something like that? Like um, Sure. Yeah, it could yeah. be could be possible, um, but probably not. Yeah, probably wouldn't. I don't. I've never noticed that anyway. Yeah, unless, yeah, yeah. Now, unless 
so there are some seals in like for air forks anyways, uh, like the lower seal head that keeps the negative air uh, separated from that pocket of air in the lowers. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have a bad seal down there, you can get some of that positive. It's in the negative chamber, but it's still positive pressure. Mm -hmm. And that can go into the lowers. And then, yeah, then you one leg would have a bunch of trapped air in it. The other would not. Um, that doesn't tend to happen very you would, often. You would also notice other issues with your fork as well. So since the other companies don't have that little button, does that give you some kind of major disadvantage or it's just like maybe if you go up in elevation, your fork's not as Yeah, harsh. and then and then even then, um, you know, it's it's good to take into consideration like what the actual pressure difference is where you're starting at and, and where you're ending up. Um, you know, ambient pressure at sea level is what, 14.7 pounds, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if, I'll you take go, your word on that. if you go up a couple thousand feet, it's not really that much less. So mm. it's only going to maybe be a PSI or so. Um, is it going to make or break your ride if you started in Sacramento and drove up to Tahoe and go road, you know, to go ride your bike? Probably no. not. Um, probably not something that people need to be like concerned about. Super, super worried about. It, it is a thing, and I'd say if you're, you know, on that that peak level, then every little every little bit's going to count. But um, you know, I see I get some people calling and they they really stress themselves out about it. And, it's I not not worth I, the time. I, st I start in Auburn all the time. I take my bike up to Downeyville and uh, just go ride my bike. Yeah, and Downeyville's like what nine thousand probably. At the yeah, top. when you're at the top. Yeah, so. yeah, and then you're dropping all the way to what? Yeah, then like you're five. Then you're right back like down to where you started. So. Yeah, so I mean that's a considerable difference just mm -hmm. just in itself. Um, what what uh, since we're at the biker bar, what are you drinking right now? We're drinking a little something. A little something by yeah. Lagunitas. Oh yeah, California beer. Gotta yeah. like it. I got the the Lagunitas IPA. Everybody that watches the channel and there's I drink that shit all the time. Nice. And then whenever I'm hydrating and drink Coors Light. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to have that mowing, in these, mowing the lawn. It's great lawnmower right. beer. You got to have yeah. that kind of beer for the heat that we have out here. Absolutely. Know? This gets too hot to drink IPAs all the right. Time. So we have a dry heat in, yeah. in California, yeah. so <laughs> so we really need as much moisture as possible. Definitely. Yeah. So yeah, that's why I drink so much beer. I'm trying to keep moisture as most moisture as possible. Yep. Um, so th this is another thing that's kind of like I've never been a, a, a person that knows jack squat about fucking suspension. I'll, I'll be upfront with you. Um, the the most suspension tuning that I've ever done is put air in my fork or my shock. What's well, a great place to start? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it definitely yeah. is. But. Um, I, when I bought the Bronson, the guy that I bought it from is like, here's a bag full of, of these little plastic things. What are they called? Uh, the tokens. Tokens. Yeah. yeah. We, I brought some. We can, we can show them. Oh, yeah, yeah. So basically, the dude hands me these tokens, and he's like, here, here you can you can use these if yeah. you want. So essentially, what we're looking at here, for those of you guys that are listening, are these just little, they look like little plastic tubes that just kind of screw into each other. So... These go in in like you can open your fork up and you can just put them on the inside. Yep. Um, you just like unscrew the top or something or yeah. For first, you want to let all the air out. Okay. You don't want you don't That's want a good th idea. You, you don't want things blowing out of there. Okay. When, yeah. When you unthread them, but yeah, they. That's they, good to know. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Step one: let all the fucking air out. Yeah. Okay. Don't take your fork apart with air in it still. Uh, but after you do that, uh, the top cap on the air side, uh, you know, on the rock shocks, which are what we have here, the rock shocks uh -huh. tokens, uh, just a 24 millimeter socket. You and on the on the side that the valve is on. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So the so the left side of the fork, if you are standing on the bike as if you were riding it, uh -huh. and uh, so you unthread that top cap, pull it off, 
and then you'll see the you know female threads that you can thread these up into the top cap. Oh, they go right onto the cap. Yep. Oh, okay. So they stay off top. You know that like I do IT, and whenever I first started doing like before I did IT, you know I called at the, that time. You remember that company Gateway, the Gateway Computers? Oh yeah. I called them up for something. They're like, oh yeah, just open up the side of the, the computer, and I was like. You're fucking kidding me, right? Like you want me to do what? Yeah, like <laughs> like this thing I'm paying on for do the you next know three how many years. Wires yeah, there? yeah. <laughs> so like like that's how I feel about taking my suspension apart. I'm like, you know, now I I've done it. You know, opened the computer up a billion times. I'm like that guy. I'm like, yeah, do it with a beer in your hand and drunk. You can yeah, get yeah, away yeah. with it. You know, you can have at least eight beers before you do this. You know, yeah. like, but uh, uh, it's definitely you know to me. I'm just. But does it matter? Like how clean everything is like, yeah so you yeah. don't want it to be like doing it in your backyard where the dust bowl is blowing no, yeah like, it would be it would be less than ideal to do it that way um, uh -huh. yeah cleanliness is definitely important we've got you know different lubes in there that we want to be as clean as possible and, and not contaminated and uh furthermore just just all the seals anything sealing mm -hmm. air uh if, you know if you were to leave you know like a, a you know piece of dirt essentially mm -hmm. that is breaking the seal you'll get a slow leak out of that little, little. okay so, so when you put these tokens in what are they doing to the fork so what these tokens are going to do is they're going to just reduce the uh the total available space of your air chamber so uh -huh. what that's going to do for, so basically it's like you got a room and you're sticking more people in there yep you, yeah, you, got, you got less room <laughs> less room now exactly. yeah yeah so uh <laughs> what it's going to do for you as like actually on the trail is let's say you've got 70 PSI in your fork and you're using 95% uh, of your travel on your favorite downhill trail and mm -hmm. you've got 70 PSI in there and you want to use less of your travel. If you kept 70 PSI in there and added one of mm -hmm. these tokens in there, mm -hmm. everything for the most part on the first half and below of the travel is going to feel pretty much identical to how mm -hmm. it did. However, you will just use less travel than before as that air spring again we're talking coils are linear air can ramp up this mm -hmm. causes that ramp up the more you have in there the more it'll ramp up so it kind of keep you from bottom bottoming out exactly but it's not going to change like the overall performance much um to a degree it will so there are some some things you can do um essentially what's you know you got to look at like uh what your overall force would take to bottom the fork out. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's going to be pretty similar, you know, regardless of how many tokens are in there. Uh, what it's going to change is basically like, if you've got 70 PSI and you're using full travel, or you could run 65 PSI and more tokens, and then you might also be using full travel. Mm -hmm. But in the second case, you would be running more SAG. So you'd have le uh, more negative travel, which, you know, has its pros and its cons. So there, there are definitely good things and bad things about adding tokens. There's a, a point of diminishing returns, I guess, is, uh -huh. is the point. So for a guy that's bigger, um, like me, is it pretty much like right out the gate, throw some fucking tokens in that thing? Or? No, not necessarily. Uh -huh. uh, because, the again, the tokens are really only going to affect that the shape of that curve. Mm -hmm. So let's say, uh, you know, rider at 250 pounds or rider at 125 pounds. Mm -hmm. um, the what we would do to compensate as as opposed to just going straight to tokens is just to increase spring rate mm -hmm. when just by increasing the air pressure mm -hmm. um but i mean most of these have like a max at least what's on the chart you know do. let's just say that's like 300 psi for a guy that's 260 or something like mm -hmm. that is there some wiggle room in that or is that like 
more than that, you're going to fuck up the, the fork. For the, for the most part, you want to stick to the manufacturer's guidelines uh -huh. um, on their shocks. I mean, they know they know best. They've designed them and, and built them. So mm -hmm. uh, they kind of know the, the working limits of them. Mm -hmm. um, there probably is a little wiggle room just because they don't want to like. A, a touch. Yeah. I would yeah. say, yeah. But, but I wouldn't, what you're saying is don't recommend it to, don't, don't try the wiggle. <laughs> yeah. The wiggle's there if you're, if you're like fucking, uh, your, 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 uh, shock pump valve is off, you know, so. <laughs> totally. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then for the most part, you know, it's, um, you know, you'll, you'll likely find that your bike would ride so terrible with, with more air than you need in it, you mm -hmm. know, just cause then your, your spring's too stiff. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's not really doing what you need it to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and then to kind of touch back on what you said about having like the max tokens mm -hmm. and the reason that we have these things is we haven't talked about travel length yet. Mm -hmm. So in previous examples, I've basically been assuming that the travel has been the same. Mm -hmm. So you make adjustments, you've got a 160 fork or you've got a 160 fork. So what these also allow manufacturers to do is you can make a 120 millimeter fork and a 160 millimeter fork on the same chassis. Mm -hmm. So the distance that the air piston is from the top cap of the fork is the same distance if it's 120 mils travel or if it's 160 mils travel. Mm -hmm. It's how much of that air chamber you're using. Oh, I see. So if you have a shorter travel, you'll need to run more tokens to keep the progression similar. Oh, uh, okay. Because you're not, again, you're not using as much. Uh -huh. So that's why, you know, shorter fork, more tokens will keep that spring curve similar throughout the travel. Can you change? I, I know like on mine, I have the, the, um, the pike over there. Yep. And, uh, when I bought it from the guy, he's like, oh, this is a 150 millimeter fork, but I changed it to 160. Like what, the, what did he change? So yeah, basically if you look at this, here's a couple air shafts. So Here's so, the plate and you can see. So basically what he's holding in his hand is kind of yep. like. Here's a stock. Kind of looks like like if you were to, to be playing um, um, foosball, like the handle that you're grabbing onto, like just basically oh, yeah. like like a little handle there and the little yeah. the little tube kind of coming out of that. Yeah. So for the people that are that are watching and not on the podcast anyways, you can kind of see what's going on here. Uh, this plate that's in my right hand here, this is attached to the, the uppers of the fork. Mm -hmm. and this shaft is attached at the very bottom down at the lowers. So basically there's this little little doodad that's sliding up and down down the, yep. the, the shaft of the post. Exactly. And that's basically the the plunger for the air system there. Yep, everything on top of this seal here, that's what you're inflating. That mm -hmm. valve would be up on top of the fork here. And so this is your positive air chamber. So again- So those so are mounted from the bottom. So this, this stick that's inside of your fork, is not mounted from the top of the fork. It's Correct. mounted yep. from the bolt. bottom. Yeah, bolt goes up through the bottom. And oh, that's okay. uh, what holds your lowers on. So the top of the fork pushing down is actually what's making the air compression. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. And then... Um, so basically, whenever the guy changed it to 160, you're that's changing, just longer. Then. You're changing the, yeah, the exposed length mm -hmm. you know, below the seal head. Mm -hmm. And that's what changes. Okay. So like I was just saying, 120 mil fork or 160 mil fork, you know, this distance is the same. The distance from this seal to the top cap is the same. The only thing that changes is this exposed shaft, oh, okay. which is how much is there. And um, again, that's why, so this might make it a little bit easier to see. Let's say we've got, you know, 160 mil fork and two tokens. Right. We're using, a, you know, 160 mils of travel. So right. we've got that much airspace left. 
or but if we're only using this much travel then we got to have more tokens so that right. end space is essentially similar i see what you're getting at okay based on travel length is there like a uh is that only up to the manufacturer like whether those things can be changed or um for the most part yeah it'll be the the design of that specific fork that you know is really so it's not like you can take any fork and make it have more travel um just depends on the model yeah uh -huh. this is this i would say this is the most common uh, air piston design right now um this is extremely similar to what you'll find in a uh, fox 34 or a 36 mm -hmm. uh, now the 32s as well also use this style so is everybody pretty much doing the same thing like is like fox and you know rock shocks and i don't know dvo are they all using the same kind of system um, just for the similar yeah dvo does something a little bit different in their diamond where they have um so we'll talk about negative springs too um if what i was talking about on top of this air piston is your positive spring you also need to have a negative spring and we can kind of get into more what that does later but this volume of air that's below this seal head that's your negative spring mm -hmm. so this has an air negative spring mm -hmm. uh what a negative spring does is it it kind of fights that initial preload in the air spring mm -hmm. if you just had a positive spring and you had 70 psi in it you know it would take a lot of force to get it moving mm -hmm. but if you've got 70 psi in here and 70 psi in here Makes it a little plusher then exactly. right through there. Okay. Yeah, that negative spring is what's responsible. It's kind of like equaling it out a exactly. little bit. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's totally what it does is it's equalizing it down uh, down towards full full extension. But not all forks do that negative negative. Not though, negative right? air. So like because I, I know I saw one. I can't think of who it is. Maybe it's MRP. They have some kind of negative thing where like you push this button and you can like completely collapse the fork to like ship it that way or something like that. Yep. Um, there, yeah, there are things you can do like that. Um, some companies use coil springs for negative springs and then, so you, they're actually a physical spring. Yeah. So right in here, you know, if you had zero PSI in your positive chamber, that spring would be fully, fully extended. Right. But then as you pressurize the fork, you kind of preload that negative spring and it's trying to, you know, kind of get right. that fork to start moving. So DVO makes theirs adjustable. That's mm -hmm. what they call their, uh, their off the top mm -hmm. feature. You can add more preload to that negative spring and that will kind of reduce that spring rate uh, at the start of the travel. So I guess since we're talking about the inside of the fork, you uh, you have a, a certain, certain upgrade that you do a lot of at, at your shop? I do, yeah. Um, definitely, it's been a pretty popular one. Uh, it's called the Luftkopf. And it's from a company called Vorsprung Suspension. They're based out of Whistler. Mm -hmm. So they've got, you know, if anybody's ever been to Whistler, you know what so, kind of testing grounds they've got. So they're they're based out of BC. Are they a German company, though? Um, or they just use Germ German names? German, yeah, German name. Uh, <laughs> they're like, so, well, if we make it sound like German engineering. Right, yes, people will buy them. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I saw you, I, uh, the gentleman, Steve, that started the company, uh, I believe that uh, if, I, if I remember reading the story right, he's of like German heritage, Born in Australia, now he lives in Canada, has a suspension company. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, prototypes, designs, cuts everything in-house, uh -huh. uh, goes and rides it in the park. And uh, I would say really that's, you know, obviously a pretty rad way to uh, know if your stuff works yeah, right, right there. So what does this thing do? So, so basically it's a replacement of that whole tube plunger system. Well, this actually, so this base plate here, uh you know which attaches to the stanchions again and then this shaft is this is stock mm -hmm. so really all that we're replacing is this air piston on top here mm -hmm. and then we're removing this 
rubber bumper. Yeah. So basically what he's saying to the people listening is the, the handle part of the, uh, the foosball table is about the only thing that's being replaced. Yep. The rest of the, the rod and everything else is just what's, what came in your fork already. Exactly. So what's the handle doing different than, than. So, yeah. So this larger, this larger handle here is, <clears throat> Oh, my hands are a little, you got a rag. Yeah. Oh, I got one. There you go. Maybe. If I it's can, a trick if, question. Yeah, I know. If I can, <laughs> so he's just spinning the top of this thing off. Well, I'm trying. Maybe. To. All right. Well, that ain't gonna, gonna happen. Not so what's, be able to make it happen. What, what's going on inside of this? There? This cap here above uh -huh. these uh, above this seal is actually hollow. Uh huh. So there's several holes in the bottom of here. Uh huh. And as we were just talking about that negative air chamber. Oh, so it's letting so a little that, bit of that, that air volume in there. underneath this dome is now extra negative air volume. Mm -hmm. So that that negative spring is more of an advantage at the beginning of the travel than it does in its stock form. So then it makes it a little plusher on the on the exactly. front end. Then. Yep. Okay. It's that... going to really really lower that initial spring rate. Uh -huh. uh, and I would say that first two inches of travel, that really off the top stuff, mm -hmm. that's what most people are noticing when they're um, talking like small bump compliance. It's, it's so. Am I right in thinking that would take away some of the chatter? Yeah. basically so it just kind of butters that out a little absolutely, bit. absolutely yeah so if you like your fork to be super responsive then probably this is not what you want to do um i would still say that it's it's, it's pretty much the ticket because what you what you run out of on the stock fork was when, man when they came out with that pike in 14 uh i don't know anybody that i worked with at the bike shops or, or anybody that was like didn't want to get on one of those forks yeah it was it was better than anything really else it, they came you know it was a new benchmark Mm -hmm. you know, for that longer travel all mountain fork. Yeah, I remember that's what everybody was talking about. And when I got mine, it was like right around the time where then Fox released something else. And I was like, you bastard. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, they had to follow suit. They had to catch up. Yeah. Um, so then that's when they. So what was it that they did that was just so different? You know, some of it was, you know, this this newer air spring design works pretty well going to the solo air and, and just a nice equalizing chamber. You don't have to worry about setting the positive and negative chambers separately, like some of their older forks you had to do that on. Mm -hmm. um, other than that, you know, it was a, a, a new chassis for them. You know, that, that new 35 millimeter, they had 35 mil forks in the past, but mm -hmm. it was, re, you know, revised. And uh, I'd say all in all, it was just a really, really solid platform. And uh, the one thing that a lot of air springs lack out on is mid-stroke support. Mm -hmm. Because that that a you know typical air spring curve is stiff, kind of softer than stiff again. Mm -hmm. um, what people end up doing is you basically run your fork over sprung, mm -hmm. so that you're not you know just dancing through the middle of that travel. Um, but then you're not using full travel. Mm -hmm. And then if you lower your spring rate enough so that you can use full travel, you really just didn't get the support in the center of that fork that you needed. It felt wallowy, mm -hmm. um, just like it. You just wanted to just blast through that, you know, that couple inches. So the change the to that design just really kind of made it a little more predictable through the exactly. Through the yeah. So this this lift cop not only lowers the spring rate in the beginning, but it also raises the spring rate slightly in the middle, mm -hmm. and that's what gets that all important. Mid well, so you're support. not kind of blowing right through exactly. it exactly. Yeah, because the 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 very bottom of the stroke. Is where it like really kind of ramps up because mm -hmm. it's trying to keep you from bottoming out exactly okay. and that and that's still tunable with tokens mm -hmm. when you put a lift cop in your fork 
you can still tune the end of the stroke by adding or removing. And they have those tokens for the rear shock as well as the front shock? Uh, they do, yeah. Uh -huh. and, and they'll come in various designs depending on the shock. But, uh -huh. uh, yeah. but it's the same kind of same, idea. Same concept, yeah. It's all it's all about tuning the, the last part of that travel. So on the rear shock, you'll see, uh, we talked about the springs earlier, but you have also like the little piggyback section. Mm -hmm. Um, what is that, that doing differently than, than what other people that don't have that? Than like an inline shock. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it's most important function is, is, you know, the piggyback shock is what's going to house it on the piggyback part itself. Um, that's where your gas charge is. And then there are different ways to, of holding that gas separate from the oil. The most common way is what's referred to as so, like uh, it's a different kind of like air in there or something, or is it uh, like... nitrogen typically? Oh, uh, so they fill that up at like the factory or something. Exactly. So there's yeah. nothing you can do when that's screwed up, or is, like when you get a shock that that's screwed up, do you have to send it back, or is there nope? Yeah, we've got all the, that you can do. Yeah, we've got all the tools to do nitrogen charging of the shock. So we're doing yeah full rear shock overhauls that uh, in the past you know most people are I'm, I'm sure if you've been riding mountain bikes for any, any uh, length of time uh -huh. you'll kind of know that yeah your shock went bad that you've got to send it back to the manufacturer and uh, I think that's where you know kind of independent third party suspension guys are, are coming into play now is you don't have to anymore. Right. So then that's the perk. Then the perk is I don't have to wait for fucking SRAM to get it back to me in right. three and a half weeks. Exactly. Like you're going to kick it out in a couple of days mm -hmm. or maybe less or something. Right. What, what's your normal turnaround? Uh, normal turnaround right now is like 48 to 72 hours. Uh -huh. kind of, uh, so if you guys all rush up there tomorrow, you can push this out yeah, to, to five right. days. That would be good. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so basically, I, I cut you off when you were explaining the nitrogen. So, is that also like a negative chamber thing, or the the nitrogen is basically going to keep pressure on the oil? It's going to do a few different things. So, there's oil in there as well as air. Then it's not just like straight up air in, in there. It is, yeah. So one of is the, that the same with the fork? Um, in the damper, the so that the. The piggyback's all for the damping part of it, not the spring part. Mm -hmm. um, the spring part on like your shock, for instance, or an air spring, that's all that outer can. Mm -hmm. That's doing the job or replacing the coil spring. Mm -hmm. But so even the coil spring shock, you know, some they have some that are, you know, have piggybacks, obviously. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the main purpose of that is, let's say we had a, a cup of water, right? Mm -hmm. And we full cup of water on the table and we took this in there and we put it in the water. Right. And some of that water is going to come out. It's going to come out. Right. So that's the same thing with your rear shock. When you're when you're compressing that damper, when that when the the shaft of the of the damper is going inside the shock, the fluid inside has to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, it has to be displaced. So right. on a piggyback shock, that's where that displacement happens. Uh, so it goes into there and then they're, they're using the the, the gas from the nitrogen to kind of offset that to, to push back. Yeah. Right, so to kind of give it some resistance or something like exactly, that. Exactly. Yeah. That tunes the way the, the shock responds then. Uh, there are, yeah, there are some, there are some things that, yeah, different depths, essentially you, you can uh, alter the way the shock feels using different depths or different pressures. Um, but that's a little bit more kind of in depth for like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go tune your shock that way. If you were like, Oh, I want my, my shock to be better. The, that would be more one of the latter things that you would uh, mm -hmm. kind of start exploring. So if, um, so the other thing that's on, on the shock that I, I guess, you know, a lot of people are, are messing around with is, is there's rebound, right? Mm -hmm. So what is the rebound doing? Cause to me, it's just this little knob that I turn all the way one way yeah. or all the way the other way. 
And then totally. somewhere along the line, don't know what the fuck way I had it. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and it feels good somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Usually. yeah. yeah. I, I have um, no clue what I'm doing. So the, so the rebound is all about controlling the extension of the shock. So if mm -hmm. we compress the shock fully, uh, the rebound is going to control how quickly it rebounds, mm -hmm. you know, or extends. So what are you trying to accomplish by adjusting the rebound if you're riding? Like, so for the layman guy, like if I turn it to faster, what is that going to equate to me? Or if I turn it to slower, what is that going to equate to me? Um, as far as like trail feel. Yeah. Like how's it feel? Yeah. It's, you're going to have some different things. If you're running it on the extremes anyways, and you're running it too slow, essentially what you, you can get into this issue where your shock will compress for a bump. And then as your wheels heading towards that other bump, it hasn't extended back down yet. So now you're mm -hmm. still into the travel, hits another bump, goes deeper into the travel, and then you can run into, like a burn into the like pack, packing up is okay. what they call it. And yeah, so you're go right, and, you're, and your bike keeps getting lower and lower and lower, and then you don't have any travel left. Right now, if it's if it's too fast, on the other hand, you'll essentially you'll be releasing more energy sometimes than you even put into the fork. So if it's if it's allowed whatever energy that spring is stored in it from compressing, if it's allowed just to release it as fast as possible, you know, then that starts doing some pretty unpredictable things. Kind of just pushing you off. That's, of that will be um, sometimes when people feel themselves like the back end off, like off a lip or off of like a root kind of pushes it kicks it up. up too much. So that, uh, you know, uh, um, that could be a symptom of having too fast a rebound in mm -hmm. the rear. Um, and then also like on your front end, then just having like a super like, harsh kind of chatter chattery feel so you want to kind of slow it down so it kind of eats that up yeah but if you're if you're running it too fast um sometimes you can like the big stutter bumps are a good place to be able to test that out like if you've got some breaking bumps into like a kind of a drifting corner uh -huh. you, you won't be able to hold the line through them your bike will like kind of kind of skip over the bumps and, and head towards the outside of the trail ah interesting yeah there's some, there was a question I saw up here. Whoop, mouse oh, yeah. isn't over there. No mouse over there. Let's see. Where the hell did the mouse go? For those of you guys watching, you don't get to find out. There it is. So I saw that Steve Y had asked up here earlier, how important is oil viscosity in the fork lowers? I don't uh, know what the fuck that means. Okay. So, <laughs> so viscosity is uh, referring to uh, basically how thick the oil is so, so you, you can adjust that like it's up to you or is it just use whatever the manufacturer um, says? in in the lowers uh you really just want to use something that's really nice thick tacky um so that, yeah typically speaking and, and as you'll see a lot of companies go to a, a much higher viscosity or thicker oil for the mm -hmm. lowers because really they just want it to splash everywhere and kind of stay there you know, mm -hmm. they, they want that barrier but you know mostly between the bushings and your stanchions mm -hmm. Uh, the bushes so trying to stanchions. keep from friction, basically. Well, yeah, exactly. So, in a, in an ideal scenario, your bushing isn't really touching your stanchion. Mm -hmm. There's a, a thin layer of oil between the two. I think it's called hydrodynamic lubrication. Mm -hmm. I, I believe is what that would be called. So, uh, but essentially, yeah, that thin film, you know, keeps those two solid surfaces away from each other. So, the thicker that is, and the longer that it's allowed to, you know, kind of stay where it goes. Mm -hmm. the better, you know, and the more, the more lubricity that it has. So I guess the answer to the question is that it is important, but it's important that it's, thick, it's not, not it's thin. not going to dramatically change the way that your bike rides. Uh -huh. uh, if you, 
especially on forks like the the Pike <laughs> or most of the the newer 36s. Um, you know, those you're not going to notice a difference in, in damping or spring if you run a 10 weight or a 20 weight in your oil. Mm -hmm. So best to just to run the, what the manufacturer. So Brian Vaughn says, can I use five W30? Like, I, is it really like similar to like a car oil that you're putting in there? Um, sometimes. Yeah. There are, there are different things and different additives in each oils that make them do what you want it to do. Uh -huh. Um, I probably wouldn't recommend running five thirty. Yeah. Um, Fox Gold Oil is plenty inexpensive enough. And, uh -huh. uh, Use what they built. Yeah. I would imagine that if you had some kind of like additives in there that might be better for a car, like could eat away at your like your your bushings and stuff like that or. Yeah. You know, I, I would have to do a little bit more. Uh, I wouldn't want to give an answer on that yet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I respect that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Totally I would, I would want to. I, I don't you know. Again, I don't know really what like the, the main difference is between like motor oil. Mm -hmm. itself really would be between like you know something more based based on suspension um not a huge car guy more yeah, yeah no me, me neither so, uh, somebody asked do you have a website uh, i do yeah fullflowsuspension.com all right yeah. on. it's pretty simple yeah <laughs> so. straightforward i figured you know keep it keep it easy so he says he's having a uh stiction after replacing the seals on the dvo uh, maybe that's what he, he he was asking about the uh the weight of the the um Got it. The oil. Yeah. Um, sometimes too, when you're doing uh, lower services, um, it's good to, when I uh, initially like slide the lowers onto the, onto the stanchions, mm -hmm. before I fill the lowers up, I won't slide the uppers or the lowers all the way up. I'll leave them just barely on. And then that way, when you, when you put that fluid in, it has, it goes past the lower bushing. Mm -hmm. and, and then that will start lubing that. Cause if those are totally dry, when you put your fork back together, then yeah, you'll, you'll definitely notice some initial stiction. Um, another thing too is, uh, you know, always a thin little layer of, of slick honey, you know, good mm -hmm. suspension, soluble grease. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right on the seals as well. Is that what you would recommend to like, um, kind of like wet the outside of the, the seal on your, your fork or your shock? Just like, if you wanted to do some like preventative or like, Oh, my fork feels like crap and I, I need to go ride North star, you know, uh, there are some products on the market. There's some stanchion lubes that um, can help get some feel back to them. Uh, so like Slick Honey wouldn't be the one in that case? You, no, you would want something a, a little bit more mobile that would uh -huh. be able to kind of get, get down into the seal. The, the Slick Honey itself is very tacky. Uh -huh. So you would have a tough time kind of... So you just end up like attracting a bunch of dirt. Right. Man, probably, yeah, yeah, more more dirt. Which is probably no good. <laughs> right. Yeah, more dirt's... Uh, yeah. It, it, there's, no, there's no replacement for you know, just kind of going through your, your service intervals. That's so, for sure. You know, I think, you know, my fork and my shock both say like, I don't remember what it is, like 50 hours or something like that. Like, I can't see that being like, right. Because if I'm on a ride that's like three or four hours long, I mean, I'm going to be like, it is doing my shock. It does. Like, it, it, I know. And it definitely, it's alarming for a lot of people too, especially like people that, bought their first mountain bike and then yeah. they're like, wait, I need to do what? How fast? Yeah. They need to be like BMW and have like the first hundred thousand yeah. miles. You get all your maintenance and totally, that, <laughs> that would be, that would be great. That would suck. Um, for you. Well, I guess you'd be contracted then, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. So, so one, you need you know, another beer yet? Yeah, sure. Same thing. Yeah. All right. So one thing that's important to kind of keep in mind with the, the service intervals on bike suspension, I know a lot of people come from like the moto world and they're like, dude, I never, you know, I, gotta, I go rip that thing all the time. I don't have to service it. Uh -huh. 
So, um, so you're saying stick with it or? Well, so here, here's what I'm saying is. How about the weekend warrior? How often should he go in? Once a year still. Yeah. If you're riding your bike. Yeah. Yeah. Once a year, you're probably really getting close to where that hourly mark is anyways. Uh -huh. um, and there, and there are some good reasons behind that. One, the, the damping fluid, it, you know, it really can only withstand a certain number of heat cycles, mm -hmm. uh, kind of going back to like the different additives that are in the fluid, uh, suspension fluid for one has additives that can do two things. You can use additives to make it more, uh, have, have a higher lubricity to it. Mm -hmm. Or you can have additives that, you know, make it, you know, essentially, you know, higher, higher viscosity, mm -hmm. you know, it can, you know, it can kind of rate or viscosity index. So, so in heat cycles, you're talking, it's like same reason that you want to like flush your brakes because that, that yep. dot fluid can only be hot and cold so many times. And, exactly. And, and yeah. it doesn't really work well anymore. Right. So if your fluid's not, if it's both not lubing the internals the same way that it once was, if it. Um, the, the viscosity index of the fluid is one of the, that's another thing that a lot of additives are in the fluid for is to make it stable across a broader temperature range. Mm -hmm. So when you first start riding down the trail, you know, you could assume that your the fluid in your damper is, uh, essentially whatever temperature it is outside. Mm -hmm. But then after, you know, enough successive hits, you're, you really start to heat that thing up. And if you're, so you get fade then that's what fade is. Okay. That's exactly what fade is. Your viscosity will start at one number. But then be, because of higher temperature, the viscosity will lower. So the viscosity. So when you're riding Downingville, by the time you get to the bottom, your fork's like, fucking let me alone. It, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, fluid, fluid's being worked. It's, yeah, it's totally yeah. doing what it's there to do. And uh, especially again, when you weigh like I do. Yeah. I mean, you're, yeah, you, you, you know, you're putting a fair amount of force into yeah. the fluid. And uh, like I said, I would say that, you know, one thing too, again, to touch back on like the difference between a, a motorcycle fork and like a mountain bike fork as far as service intervals go is uh we have to pedal our stuff to the top of the hill so all of these companies are making uh really really badass forks uh, as light as possible mm -hmm. and what that means is using um you know lower fluid volumes you know in places that a moto fork may have you know 400 cc's of fluid you know we've got right. you know 100. So it's trying to do the bare minimum you know use the bare minimum exactly. but get the same performance exactly yeah, right. really about as minimalistic as you can build it, but still get the strength, the performance, the reliability that yeah. you know that everybody wants. So that's interesting. It's a tough, it's a tough balance to, you know, kind of try to figure out for some of these companies. And so I got something else here. Uh, I see actually pretty regularly online. I, I think I saw one just yesterday. Was somebody ate shit, scratched up their sanchions, oh, yep. sanchions on their fork, and they're like. Do I need to buy a new fork? Can you what take do I, it? What do I do? Can you take it right. somewhere? Like I heard somebody say, oh, somebody can sand it or they have some special paint, like fucking unicorn paint or something. I don't know. So, totally. Um, there are some things you can do. Um, uh -huh. If it's a real big gouge um, and it's pulling a lot of oil out, if it's cutting the seals up too early, um, you can, you know, very, very carefully take some like super, super, super fine grit sandpaper, almost like wet sandpaper, mm -hmm. uh, like you were finishing a car. And if there's any raised edges, you can try to knock it down a little bit with that. And then uh, clear nail polish, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty mm -hmm. inexpensive. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it doesn't break down with the yeah. heat and stuff yeah, like and if, that. Yeah, you and you can ask your girlfriend to go get it for you if you need yeah. to. And yeah. Uh, huh. So that, that works for a lot of people. And ultimately, it's just going to depend on, on how thick the, the gouge is. And Because uh, if you had to replace that portion of the fork, let's just say that's the uppers, right? Yeah. 
it's pretty much the cost of the new fork or it's not that bad but um it but it is expensive and yeah. then depending on depending on the fork you know kashima coated uppers are more expensive than the black anno uppers mm. so you do you do have some options if you don't want to replace it with kashima you don't have to you can save a few bucks i got uh, that, that that spawns yeah. another question so do you is is there really something in the kashima juice there there is yeah um because i'll tell you what man i've given up on kashima purely because i'm an aesthetics person okay and i'm like right. i'm like i don't know if that kashima juice is only for professional guys so or yeah i just want my, I would say, my fucking bike to look cool i would, I would say one gold thing is fucking it up right <laughs> i would say one thing that's important to, to take into consideration is like uh, perceptible differences and measurable differences mm -hmm. uh for an average rider uh, what's perceptible is is going to be, you know, a, a much smaller window than than like you said, a, a professional rider. Right. Um, there there is some really like cool Richie Rude's like, holy shit, this is amazing, and I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> there there is some cool science behind the the Kashima coat. Um, uh -huh. That coating itself is very proprietary. Fox doesn't own it. Uh -huh. um, it's a, a third party company out of Japan that that owns the Kashima coating. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's, I believe, Showa on the Moto side of things. I'm not a big Moto guy either, uh -huh. but I believe Showa uses it on a lot of their forks. So basically, Fox is just the one that got the license for it, and yeah. the deal is nobody else is allowed to have that. Could be. I, I'm, to, be total, to be totally honest yeah. with you, I actually don't know. Yeah, I actually yeah. don't know if everybody else is just like, whatever, we'll let them do it because it's their thing, yeah. or if Fox was like, hey, we want to buy into this on yeah, the mountain bike yeah. side of things, but you can't sell it to anybody else. Right. I, I actually don't know the answer to that. My question. assumption would be it probably they probably made some kind of deal. That would be my guess. Could be. Yeah. I mean, we don't know though. We're right. just we're just taking taking a guess. Yep. So um now I lost some fucking train of thought. Well, let's drink to that. Yeah. I think yeah, so just about like is Kashima coat gonna make your fork uh way better than the uh -huh. than the black one? You know, probably not. You yeah. know, I would say that it is, it's a nicer coating. It lasts longer. It's more resistant to wear than mm -hmm. a hard black anode would be. Um, and the, the big thing is uh, basically molybdenum, you know, that's in, it's inside the coating. And essentially that's uh, what's called like a self-lubricating material. So it kind of raises itself to the surface with heat. And then that provides a secondary barrier, uh, you know, between. So it's what's supposed- it Molybdenum, I believe. I think you made that up, dude. I, I, I might be, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, too. No, it's so all I'm right. I'm sure if there's anybody, science majors on, yeah. that are watching right now, hopefully they can correct I'm, me I'm totally on that. fucking with you. That's uh, only like the 97th freaking um, thing on the scientific chart. See, I can't even fucking make a joke when I try. <laughs> Molybdenum. I like it, man. It's, yeah. Sounds like something you can get your girlfriend to say to you slowly. Molybdenum. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> Tell me what's on that fork again. Right. <laughs> Say it while you're bending over. No, I mean, <laughs> so uh, moving on. One, uh, when, when I got back into riding mountain bikes, I started back in the 90s and I took a little break. And when I got back into it, I ended up getting a Cannondale Lefty. Yeah. And ha have you worked on those at all? Um, in the past, yeah. Is, is that fork like really interesting to you? Or is it, it, just it is, uh, it's a very interesting idea. Um, my understanding is that they started out making a dual crown fork and then they realized that it was like super strong and stiff and they only needed half of it yeah you know i i used to have i worked at a cannondale dealer when i was uh, uh -huh. in high school and we had like the best sales rep at the time his name was murray and he uh -huh. was like such a tech guy that he could pretty much explain anything and, and i don't 
I want to, I remember he, him telling me like what the actual process the steps were that yeah. like came to that fork being yeah, there, yeah. but I, I can't quite remember yeah. what it is. The cool thing about it is, you know, your, your traditional forks, you know, the, the round stanchions, round bushings. Yeah. So those are allowed to, to twist inside one of another. Right. And they Whereas, did their square. Right. So right. then there's four sets of needle bearings that, that resist that traditional right. load. So yeah, it's, it, it's kind of cool. Um, it looks real weird when you look down and you're riding down the trail on yeah. it, but, uh, but super stiff and, um, performance wise. I mean, I never, never noticed the difference. Right. You know what I mean? Like totally. I, I will say, and, and some people may argue with me that this, I will say that in the air, I did feel it weighted one way, hmm. you know, like, like you could feel that, the light side versus the yeah. The heavy I would side. I would notice that I couldn't uh, test ride the bikes that I built uh, with no hams. Uh huh. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So, what is the uh, so what is the the cost to have like your fork your front fork like a regular full maintenance that once a year thing and then um, full model dependent a little bit, but uh, typically you can expect around like one fifty to one seventy for Sorry. and that's for a full. That's the, the just whole, one piece that that's the fork or the, the, the that, would, shock that would just be for the fork. Uh -huh. Um, but that's, that's the full service. You know, a lot of shops I know, uh, in the past, we've sort of been dealing with this issue where shops will say, Oh, it's a fork service, but really they're, they're just dropping the lowers and, and replacing the dust wipers. So what we mm -hmm. do at the shop is, uh, much more of a full overhaul. I mean, it, it does get a lower service. It does get new, uh, dust wipers and foam rings as well, but it gets a full damper teardown. It's a full air spring tear down and really every part of the fork is touched. And so the, essentially just take the entire thing apart. It is a full clean everything, change anything that's perishable yep. and then put it back together. So then what does it look like on the rear then? Uh, so rears are very model dependent because uh, there's a lot of price ranges on. How about the, the low kits, end but, versus the high but end? Low end, if you've got just like a, um, a basic inline Fox or Rock Shocks, I uh, go about one thirty. Uh -huh. uh, some of the more in depth shocks can get up there about like one sixty. But mm -hmm. so you're looking at roughly like three hundred bucks to take it in, get the front and the back redone for for the full overhauls. Uh -huh. Yep. Right on. So there's. This company, the, the one that you were talking, the Vol, 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 say Vol, again? Vorsprung. Vorsprung. They do that for the fork. Do they do something for the rear shock too? Uh, they do. Not for what you've got there. The debonair can, uh, which is what you've already got, is a pretty nice air spring. But they do uh, have a corset can, and that upgrades the Fox inline shocks as well as the Fox Float X series, uh, even all the way back to uh, some of their older shocks like the RPs. Um, the DHX airs you can you can get them for as well and uh, those are a really cool upgrade does a very similar thing to what the lift cop does where it's just a much more engineered uh, air curve mm -hmm. and uh, much lower initial spring rate better mid-stroke support mm -hmm. so some people are saying are there or asking are there any cons to the the, the loop? I haven't found one yet yeah yeah so basically the I guess the only con is it costs money uh, yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, the only yeah, exactly. Uh, the only con is that it doesn't come in your fork already. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, to be totally honest, it's uh, is that something that people can do on their own, or is it like you have to be a dealer? If you're, to if get you're parts? pretty, if you're pretty tech savvy, um, yeah, you can totally. Uh, you can pick them up from uh, from me. I've got them just at the shop, and yeah, you could buy them and install it on your own, no problem. Uh, Vorsprung. So, what's the part work run? Uh, the Luftkopf itself for the Pikes uh, starts at seventy five. If mm -hmm. you have 
one of the B1 series pikes uh, or like the 29 plus, you may need a little adapter, but it's uh -huh. only an extra $10 for the adapter. So it's about 90, 100 bucks. Mm -hmm. And then what's the service side of it cost then? Uh, service side, you're, you're basically doing a lower service at the time. You've got to drop the lowers and pull the guts out of the air side. Um, so if, if the fork's new, um, you know, you're basically looking about $60 labor, but I typically recommend that we just go ahead and put dust wipers while we're in there. Uh -huh. uh, it'd be a shame if your fork started leaking right after you got your new upgrade. Right. So, so what's that then? Uh, so basically for, for a pike, I'd say, I think it wants, uh, ends up being like 160, mm -hmm. you know, right, right around there for the, for the install. And that includes the dust wipers and the phone. Right. So well. 60, 70 bucks. Yeah. Depending. Does it run different? Like with the Fox or what the other uh, ones they're pretty, out there? pretty similar priced. Um, the they've got the lift cop now for the 34s the 36s and then the pike lyric yari uh, all shares they all share the same chassis essentially mm -hmm. um so the same lift cop will work in the pikes lyrics yaris and uh in even the newer revelations but you do need to buy a new uh you need to buy a air shaft out of a pike to, in order to be able to put it in there but is there forks that it doesn't work with is it just basically fox and rock shocks that they're making it for right Correct, now yeah just, just Fox and Rock Shocks. What, um, uh, um, somebody mentioned push. I want to talk to them, talk about them in a little bit. Um, what did, I, what the fuck was I going to ask you? Actually, now I'm, I got stuck on push. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let, let's talk about them since I can't remember yeah. what the fuck I was going to say. So I, I never heard of them until a few years ago. It was like, all of a sudden everybody's like, you got to get your 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 shock pushed. Right. What what does that mean? What are they doing? So it could mean different things depending on what you have. Um, you know, they, they do pushes by far. I think they're probably one of like the older um, suspension, you know, kind of aftermarket tuning companies. I remember them, you know, even when I was getting into the sport, I remember, uh, you know, they were they were already kind of that name that, uh, oh, well, if the stock stuff's not working out for you, then, uh, you know go call these guys. And I think they started in Southern California mm -hmm. and uh, they do a lot of really, really cool stuff. So most notably now anyways, is obviously, you know, their 11.6 six shock, mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, that. So they have their own shocks now. They do. So they're not just fixing other people's shit. They do. Yeah. So, and, and so model dependent, you know, I'm not, I believe that they are still doing some of their own internal modifications to, to other shocks as well um mm -hmm. but it would ultimately depend on which model you have and what you're sending so them. essentially they made their name by fixing other people's stuff yeah, and, and, then, tu and tuning you yeah. know is really kind of i think where they got the and then the from there from. then they just started making their their own stuff. yeah and then they're like hey well uh we could make stuff better so let's make do stuff they do better. air stuff i thought they had just like coils though right? just, yeah so just coils so they're doing uh you have the 11 6 shock which is you know their their coil rear mm -hmm. and then they do the acs3 kit and that's mm -hmm. a you know a coil conversion for your fork. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So different idea than this lift cop. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, take all the take all the guts out of your air side, and, and then you replace it with their parts, and now, oh, okay. you, now you've got a coil fork. That's interesting. I know with the lefty, it originally was built with with a regular spring in it, yep. and later on, that was Correct. one of yep. the things that they did with their PBR was like yep. you replaced all that with air then, but it's yep. like still using the same same shell so to speak right um what is um um the deal with that mrp rebound kit that you can kind of drop in instead of 
of the uh, the tokens. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. So uh, the the ramp control cartridge. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So what the ramp control cartridge essentially is is uh, having a varying amount of volume spacers at once. Mm -hmm. So you you can ascend, you know you dial it out and it's like removing. A volume so it's like a plunger in there basically that's just like pushing up and down uh, well, yeah, so I'm, to speak I'm, I'm fairly certain that's <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. much how, i've never taken one of the, their actual yeah, cartridges yeah. apart but that, that would be that would make my, sense. my assumption is that yeah it's it's you know yeah just just a disc inside that's that's shortening the you know the available volume inside it yeah and then uh yeah that will raise the you know the compression ratio the more you screw yeah. it down i like the idea of that just because you can like not have to take it apart you know, you could do it on the fly or sure. whatever. So the one thing, and I would say the the big difference between the ramp control and then the Lufkop is the going back to the the tokens. What they're really doing at the end of the day is is just affecting that last third of the travel. That's where they're going to have. Well, could you use the Lufkop and the ramp control, or is that something that doesn't? There are some combinations that work. Um, I know that uh, Vorsprung has a pretty decent. Um, I think on their website they 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 have some travel lengths that it works with. Uh, I know that at certain points it doesn't work. You run into some contact issues, but uh, oh. you, you, there are would, some. Would you do that with tokens then, I guess, as well? Um, Once you put this thing in, you can't put as many in. Exactly, yeah. You, it limits you by, by two less tokens than uh, than what the old max was. Oh, okay. Um, which really, for most people, though, that I say, you know, I, I've told some people that, and they're like, oh, wait, well, what? And I was like, don't even worry about it, because you're not going to want to put that many in anyways. How many tokens can you stick inside of there? Uh, it depends on travel length. Mm -hmm. So again, how much of that plunger is going in there? Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, is it normally like four or five of them, or is it like well, yeah, 10, so or is it like three? You know, <laughs> I, I don't know. I've never opened it up. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> if you're at like one seventy, your max may be three. If you're at like one forty, your max would be you know five or, oh, okay. or whatever, because you're not using as as much of that air chamber. Okay, I get it. So, um, but again, the you know the ramp control is. Um, like I said mostly just tuning that end stroke and, and that ramp up, mm -hmm. whereas the Lufkop is having its effect more at the beginning and the middle of the stroke of the travel, which mm -hmm. is is unique, I would say, to this product uh, as opposed to other upgrades that are out there. Because most of the time you're riding, that's where you're at anyway. Right. So I mean, it's it's kind of like when I when I did some stuff with Cali, they were like, "Yeah, you got all these, you know, Cali uh, protectives yeah, for helmets," totally. and they're like, "You yeah. got all these like." measurements that people test these helmets on but they're all like tested on these like super huge like destruction you right. know what i mean but there's no tests that are like testing them on like what happens when you just fall over and, and tap your head a little bit yeah you know do, so, I need, do i need to replace my helmet if it or like how do you how do you build that kind of protection into your helmet instead of just the protection of slamming your head into a rocket totally. 30 miles sense. an hour yeah. So yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely it's more yeah, more takes a look at the full package as opposed to just you know yeah, one aspect. The worst case scenario or whatever, right. yeah. So and and uh, you know for me, I I would say once I've got my my fork pretty much set up and I know kind of where I want my progression to be, I don't ever really find myself wanting to change how progressive my my fork gets. Mm -hmm. um, you know, very. Not very often, anyways. Uh, kind of set it and forget it once you get it there. For, for the progression, anyways, as far as that's concerned, yeah, that's um, pretty much w what I find, anyways. Mm -hmm. What would you change? Like, what would it things that you would change, like on your fork, depending on like ride specific settings? Um, so more ride specific settings. Um, 
I would change, you know, so having like compression adjusters, but certain compression adjusters. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that at least on like the commonplace in, in the industry right now is uh, everybody's got blue knobs, you know, and it makes your shock stiffer, right? Mm -hmm. um, it may or may not be a, a good way to actually make, you know, make an adjustment. There would be no usable way to ride in climb mode descending, you know? Mm -hmm but it makes it so when you're climbing up pavement that it feels really good. So mm -hmm. for me on my force, I mean, a lot of people are saying that they just leave their shit open, you yeah. know, and just whatever. Totally. Like, and, and, and it's so like hard for me to accept that, but on rides, whenever I've accidentally left my shit open all the way, you never noticed. I didn't notice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I totally. Um, for to touch on that, I, I would say that uh, there. I are, think that depends on the suspension design of the bike, though, too. Like the, the VPP, it, for example, yeah. does well with that. VPP is <laughs> a very, very uh, good pedaling platform for sure. I would say so. Suspension kinematics are going to have a big uh, decision on how it feels when you're pedaling in the saddle. Mm -hmm. um, other than that, you know, I would say where you're riding. Uh, if you're riding off road and you're climbing up rocks, you're climbing up roots. You'll, you're probably going to be more efficient over the entire climb if you just leave your suspension open. Mm -hmm. You know, if you if you're if your rear wheels bouncing up the roots and it's and it you know you get that skip yeah. every once in a while when you're when you're climbing up something technical and it because essentially it bounces and so now you're wasting energy spinning yeah. the wheel. But if you left your shock open and it just yeah and like then you know then all the power is going up. So maybe for some people that are newer in riding, essentially what your suspension is doing when you're climbing is keeping the wheel on the ground right. all the time maintaining traction. right and so that that's 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 what he's getting at if you're kind of bouncing off of stuff because you have it super tight then right. then that's where you're losing that so if you're on the road then you're not giving up that, that right you don't really you know and in auburn you know we've got that you know if you're doing a clementine loop yeah you got it you've got a pretty decent jaunt up some pavement yeah go ahead and lock it out go you know it, it. it'll it'll make but don't forget to unlock it yeah that's the biggest right. curse right you know absolutely so, i i know about nine times out of ten wherever i get done with a good downhill section i'm like man that was really rough and then i realized that it was fucking locked out so yeah <laughs> yeah that that'll definitely uh that'll do it for sure so so somebody's saying that intense's vpp is a little better than santa cruz's vpp um that's interesting to me. I mean, so it's just a little bit of tweaking then as far as yeah, and, and how they engineer it. Yeah, and every company's they've got a you know a little bit of wiggle room there. Basically, the you know, if if you're like a DW link, obviously Ibis and Pivot both notably use DW links, and it's kind of up to them to kind of you know, they have the parameters of what makes it a DW platform and they can, you know, kind of make some small altercations uh, mm -hmm. from there and uh really fine-tune the ride quality for, for what they want their bike to feel like. Uh-huh. So how did, actually, before I ask you that, how how do you feel about Cushcore? I was up at their, their office in Bend a couple weeks ago, and one of the things that they were really adamant about is that it's a suspension platform as well because it's like dissipating energy and trying to kind of soak some of that up. Totally. Do, do you buy into that? Um, or like, so how do you see it? Or? My, my biggest suggestion for people uh, when they're like, hey, give me some some basic pointers on like what I can do for my suspension. And, and you know, I, I want to get set up down. I want to know more what all the knobs do and uh, this, that, the other. It doesn't really matter. Um, tire pressure. Mm -hmm. that, that's the first thing. It's uh, I don't know if you do like golfing or bowling or, or anything like that, but those are all consistency sports. If you show up 
and you're not wearing your golf shoes, your swing's going to be way off. Mm -hmm. Or if you show up on the soccer field and you don't have your your cleats, mm -hmm. you know, you're you're not going to be playing at the same level. So that's very, very similar on mountain bikes too. Your, your tires are what's connecting to your, your ground. Those are your cleats. Uh, those are your shoes. And those need to be the same every time. Mm -hmm. uh, and furthermore, getting that, that PSI in your tires to about as low as you can reasonably get to uh, mm -hmm. without sacrificing pinch flats or burping tires and corners, um, that's going to be the best place to start. Because that is the first line of defense is, is your tires. That's what's hitting the trail. So mm -hmm. um, keeping that in a constant range will help you, you know, get your suspension dialed in. And that lower tire pressure is not necessarily like really messing with your rolling resistance. Um, there would probably be a lot to look at as far as that goes. Uh -huh. I, I do know that... Um, when I was most recently working for a specialized dealer that specialized was really doing a lot of tests with tire pressure, rolling resistance, what it actually meant. And on the road side of things, they found that a thicker tire, a, like a 25 C or a 28 C at a lower pressure will be more efficient over a longer course than a little skinny 21 or 23 C at 120 pounds. Oh, that's so, interesting. So yeah, they're finding that, you know, you ride your tires at 90 uh -huh. and, you know, it may feel sluggish on like the acceleration, but over the course of what you're riding entirely, mm -hmm. because the bike's able to track straighter, uh, it's not jarring you around as much. So you're also not fatiguing yourself as much on the yeah, bike, yeah, just, yeah. just doing this, that over the course of the whole ride, you'll, you'll be more efficient with a lower tire pressure. That's really interesting. It is. Yeah, it, that, that one caught a lot of people off guard when they started telling everybody about, hey, check out what we've been doing. Yeah, They're yeah. Like, oh, get out of here. Yeah, I know. You know, it, it's 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 really interesting in those kind of circumstances when they, you know, start spending some R&D time on stuff like that. And, and some things. real money to figure out, you know, because they're doing big time tests. Yeah. You yeah. know, there's not a couple guys in the garage like, oh, I wonder what tire yeah, pressure is faster. Right. You know? I'm gonna I'm gonna right. race this and then we're gonna try. Yeah, again, no, there you know? there are a lot of smart people down there that are uh, you know really trying to get to the bottom of what makes a bike work better. So how did you get into like suspension? Like what? How? how is yeah, it? man, that's my favorite part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been working at shops since I uh, got my freshman year in high school, and mm -hmm. um, you've just been in the industry ever since. And uh, that that's my favorite part. I mean, mm -hmm. that is by far the number one way to. Uh, get a better experience out of your ride is, you know, have well-working suspension, you know, mm -hmm. that's set up properly. Um, I get people in all the time that will, uh, you know, will do full overhauls on their, you know, 2012, you know, whatever. And their bike's six years old, you know, they're mm -hmm. like, all oh, my friends have new bikes, but you know, whatever, I just got this thing. And you do them overhauls, we get them some upgrades on there and they're like, I got a new bike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like I said, it's, um, yeah, yeah. it's, it's that's the the biggest connection you have or disconnect in, in a certain regard to the ground and, and to what you're riding on. And I rode a, um, that Cannondale that I was talking about for a long time, like almost, almost 10 years. And I like upgraded everything on there. And I will say that it was probably five or six years, probably six years into having that bike that I switched the, the shock for a newer, newer shock. Mm -hmm. And it did, it was like, it was like a totally different bike. Like yep. the, the pedaling platform had just changed so much. Like it was, it, it was probably one of the best upgrades that I did. Totally. You know? yeah. And and again, yeah, that's, that's why I'm in the suspension stuff is cause it's, uh, 
yeah, it, it, the number one way to make your bike feel better. So you just, we were talking earlier that you had uh, recently gone to Interbike. Was there anything up there that grabbed your eye and the suspension mark? You know, or? I, you know there, not, the, it wasn't there, but there, there, I know there are some new stuff, uh, you know, coming down the pipeline. Uh -huh. um, you know, the new Fox Live Valve. I got a chance to finally look at that in person. So what is that? So Fox Live Valve is going to be a, essentially a, a smart suspension system. So you'll have a couple accelerometers uh, mounted to your fork and then by the rear wheel. And then you'll also have a, a main, you know, brain unit on the center of the bike. I think I saw something about this just recently and it yep. was like, basically like adjusting your pressures and stuff like that as you're riding. Exactly. And it was something like, like a thousand times a second or something like that. It's like it's very, taking readings and yeah. like, Totally. Yeah. So it's on the. Um, so you never like have a lockout or anything at that point. You go ride your like, bike. Yeah. You and, hop on and go ride your bike. And it just does whatever the fuck it thinks you're going to do. Totally. So it, it's it's uh, all technology that they're bringing down from their power sports industries. Uh, and that's really the great thing about Fox is that, you know, they have they do snowmobiles, they do UTVs, mm -hmm. they do, you know, Ford Raptors, they yeah. do mountain bikes, they do motos, they do Harleys. Yeah. So they're really they're they're learning you know, everything from all of these little things and they're, you know, they pass, pass info back and forth. And, uh, how do you feel about that though? I mean, like my knee jerk of, of a guy like me is like, that's fucking awesome. I don't have to yep. fucking think about anything. Perfect. But I think for some guys like maybe like you, where you're like, well, I don't want that making those decisions for me. Yeah. So, and I think that's going to be, yeah, you bring up a really good point. I, I think that there's going to be something to say for, um, having an expectation of what your shock is going to do at any given time. Uh -huh. uh, and for, for certain people, if you want a predictable feel, you see the bump that your wheel is going to hit, you kind of know what your wheels, your, what your back end is going to do based on how your suspension set. All right. So we'll see, you know, I haven't, I don't have any seat time on the, on yeah, the yeah. live valve stuff. Yeah, yet, I mean, at this but, point it's all speculation. Exactly. Uh, but at a thousand times a second, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it can make adjustments a lot faster than you and I can even blink our eyes. So, yeah, um, I think the other hand of it, too, is kind of like like people riding 29ers. Like, honestly, I haven't got on a 29er that I, I really, truly enjoyed. But every time I ride one, I pretty much come to the same conclusion. I think if I rode this thing for a month. I'd be yes. fine, I, but I'm I getting would, on yeah. it for one day and it's like two hours. Turn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that same thing would happen in that scenario. Like for those of us that haven't ridden that for a period of time, we won't like it initially, but the guys that they, that's what they're learning on. They're like, dude, this is, this right. is predictable. Yeah. You know, totally. It, it seems that that's going to be the case that uh, it, I've read some really, really positive reviews about it. Um, and again, you know, there have been other electronic suspension systems that have tried to come to market before and, uh, you know, didn't really see them go very many places. But I think that Fox has the R&D time into this. And uh, I think they kind of know what they're doing. On yeah. This one. Is there some kind of like certification courses that you have to go through to work on this stuff? Or it's just like, just know your shit. Just yeah. for toll free. For, no, <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, you. Uh, yeah, every company they kind of look out a little bit and they, they kind of want to know who's doing their stuff. But uh, so so for everybody here in the the Sacramento Auburn area, they can come up to full flow in Auburn and, yeah. and and get squared away. So for these people that are in different parts of the U.S., like how do they vet a guy like you? Like what would you do? Like if you, you were know, talking to your buddy back in Georgia, you know that's a good, I you know personally myself, like I said, I mean I've been working in shops you know in in the industry now for. Uh, got 13 
years or something like that. So, you know, you, you get a certain number of contacts and people, they get a sense for, you know, the kind of mechanic that you are and, you know, uh -huh. attention to detail. And I think that probably goes a, a bit of a ways, but uh, there are definitely some uh, numerous courses across. There's like UBI, uh, and they do like a suspension clinic as well. There's a couple others that you can go to and uh, get their certifications for for doing stuff like that. But but um, that doesn't necessarily like what what kind of key things would you like if your buddy that lived in Georgia was like, hey, I want to go to the suspension guy here. How do I know if he's good or not? You know, do I just go give him my money a couple of times and yeah. find out how it goes? You know, yeah, well, word of mouth certainly. Yeah, that's yeah. certainly a, a bit of it. Um, but uh, you know, I'd say most people, if they are confident enough to, to start their own suspension workshop, I'd say that they kind of know what. what so they if they're doing do. suspension by itself, that's yeah. like a key point. It's not so, that's not really something that um, you just get into. Right. You know, no, nobody just stopped one day and they're like, oh, I'm just going to start working on suspension, right. you know. So so more than likely, the guy that's running the suspension only joint is better than the dude that works at the local bike shop doing your suspension. Well, Maybe. Be, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to say that because I've yeah. worked with, a, a, you know, a ton of good mechanics over the year. And it's and it's not to say that, you know, your traditional mechanic at a bike shop is more or less qualified to do the work. Uh -huh. uh, more what I would say that it is, is that they're just not in the systems all the time. Uh -huh. So we, if when you take a seat post apart and it, you do one a month, you know, it's going to take you a while. But, yeah, you know, you do one a day and it's and it's different. So. Yeah, no, I in my my IT world, I mean, there's certain things that I only fuck with once every six months and I have to spend the first hour like yeah. relearning it. Yeah. And, and, then, then, and then there are probably other people out there that yeah. do that all the time. Right. 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 It, exactly. So uh, now for me, like now I'm now I go to adjust some, you know, some new derailleur that's on the market and I'm like, oh, wait, what are they doing here? Yeah. yeah. You know, because again, you, if you're not keeping up with the systems and you're not doing it all the time, then, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'd say that's where people kind of run into issues. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's all about just consistency and uh, keeping up with the trade. So for me, I have um, um, certain parts or, or a certain part of the bike that I'm like, man, this is fucking crap technology. It's only a matter of time till it's gone. To me, that's the derailleur. And yeah. so in, in the suspension world to you, is there something that you look at and you're like, when is this going to go away? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm probably gonna get a lot of flack on this one, but lockouts. Yeah. Yeah. What is the reason? I don't, I don't, you know, if you're again, the reasoning, like, like touching back on like the efficiency thing on a climb, you know, all these new suspension designs out there are so efficient in their design um, that you just don't need one, yeah. you know? And uh, I would say the other thing too is like really, this gets in a little bit more of the like internal workings of the shock, but uh, you know, the valves that are actually kind of opening and closing as the as the suspension's moving, you, you can kind of set those up differently. And a lot of companies will set them up in what's called a, a digressive format and what mm -hmm. that means is that it naturally has more low speed compression than it would high speed essentially um uh -huh. so in that what that does to consumers when they grab the bike off the rack on the floor and they go pedal it around on the pavement or in the parking lot of their local bike shop is the it feels efficient it's not bobbing or moving and they're like oh cool yeah this bike pedal's really good and, uh -huh. you know, this, is, this is what i want but that low speed compression or that you know that digressive stack will that's can oftentimes what adds to a little bit of that harshness feeling. It just mm -hmm. as it takes more pressure 
to get that wheel to start moving mm -hmm. um, than it would if it were, uh, you know, a more a more linear valved shock. Huh. That's interesting. So the um, we've talked about the fork and we've talked about the shock, but on nowadays we we have some other pieces of suspension on the bikes now too. Is is the seat posts? Yeah. And um, how how is there like any certain thing with that technology that that is really different from one seat post to the next or you know a lot of them are really made in very similar you know there's obviously in the bike industry we see this all the time there's a plenty of ways to, to skin a cat you know i mean there's companies doing similar things you know or different suspension designs etc but for the most part on seat posts you have to pack everything into the same package regardless of the manufacturer so right so you only have the you, same amount of space right and they all need to accomplish the same task internally so really what you find when you get into a lot of these different seat posts is that they're all very similar mm -hmm. um and then it's just execution i would say that uh you know makes one seat post better than the other mm -hmm. um do you feel like um I, i've heard some guys tell me that they think the hydraulic button on the seat post is worthless like what's the point you know they're yeah it's got a great feel to it. Uh -huh. I mean, it, it definitely, you know, it, the feel aside from when you need to bleed it, of course, uh, mm -hmm. you know, with, with it bled all of the time, you know, it's got this nice, great little consistent feel. Mm -hmm. um, does it add some complication? You know, y yes and no. Um, at least your cable's never going to break. You know, you know that, yeah, but, yeah. but then your hose may pull out. So yeah. again, I would say it's just one of those just Two different ways to to skin a cat and mm -hmm. uh, i don't think there's a right or a wrong way to do it i i would say that um the cable actuated posts certainly lend themselves a little bit more to uh you know do-it-yourselfers and, mm -hmm. and you know people who just want to maintain their bike and pull their seat post out real quick and put it in another one or this that or the yeah, other it's a lot uh, easier that i way. would say that the cables are, are definitely winning in that regard uh-huh for sure I had talked to you earlier and I can't remember what your, your answer was to that. Um, what's the, the difference with the, or why is it that some of these freeze up? Like my reverb, if I drove several times this year, like once I was going to Downeyville, which fortunately wasn't a fucking big deal. Another time I was going up to Nevada city, it was cold up there. Mm -hmm. And like, by the time I got there, my seat post was just, it wouldn't work. Yeah. So, can you just use different fluid or something or on the reverbs? It could be a few different things that could be doing it because you're dealing with, you know, two hydraulic systems, essentially. Uh, and it's a, a common misconception that, you know, people think that when you bleed the lever and the line on your reverb, that that in some way is affecting the bleed on the post. But so there's two. There so are... in that case, the post it, and, and this is my me actually not knowing that. So the post could be hydraulic the the actuator could be hydraulic or they don't necessarily both have to be hydraulic either then correct so one could be air yeah. and one could be, like you could have an air post with a hydraulic button um well all of so all the air posts will still have they're they're all pretty much still hydraulic because they have to in order for them to except for like the um god why am i blanking on their name they're the oldest gravity dropper mm -hmm. uh so gravity dropper was a very mechanical seat post it, you know used a pin Mm -hmm. uh, or like the specialized command post where there's literal mechanics that are that are holding oh, okay. yeah, the seat that post sense. in place. Yeah. Uh, spe the command post uses this big collet uh -huh. that separates out into these grooves. Right. And that those grooves hold that collet and, and that's what 
keeps right. the seat post. Okay, that out. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas like the reverb and the transfer seat post and uh, KS, the Integras, um, those essentially they keep oil on one side of a piston. And when you push the button, it opens the piston. And then if there's weight, if there's enough weight on the seat post, that oil will flow through the seat post as it collapses. Mm -hmm. And then when you unweight the seat post, it stays put because those holes are closed until mm -hmm. you push the button again. Push the button again, it opens those holes. Now the pressure in this post, because you're not sitting on it, is higher than the pressure right. on the seat. So that's that what causes it, back it up. To, to push back up. Huh. So, and then, so the reverb, like I said, that I can rebuild a reverb without having the line there. Mm -hmm. because the hydraulic assembly that's inside of the post doesn't touch the hydraulics inside the lever. So what does a maintenance on, on that cost, something like getting your, your seat post redone? Uh, it's full rebuild on a seat post, which is, you know, new bushings, the whole thing torn apart. It's 130, you know, mm -hmm. for most seat posts out there. Okay. Yeah. That's reasonable. Yeah. And there's that well, once again, post, like yeah, one post is like three or four. Yeah. Bucks, right. So, yeah. Yeah. They're getting expensive. That's for sure. I, the, the cost of entry, into like a really tiled bike is just it's, crazy how it's much getting it's up, on it. It's getting up there these days. Yeah. yeah. But um, but that being said, I will say this. Uh, a $3,000 bike right now is leaps and bounds better and more capable than a $7,000 bike is from 10 years ago. Yeah. And they just, you know, we've really, these last six, seven years in the industry, um, yeah, everybody's been making some really big strides. I used to be a real big like like proponent of like buying used, and I still am. However, if you have an if your if your budget is that you're buying an older bike, you know, and you're like, oh, I can only buy like a twelve or thirteen hundred dollar older bike. Now I'm kind of leaning towards like, well, it depends on like if you're getting a thirteen hundred dollar screaming deal, yeah, or like maybe only spending 1500 bucks, but getting a bottom of the line, newer bike, like what you're just saying, the technology is just so much better that even yep. that, that lower end bike is, is worth getting instead of. It is, and oftentimes, yeah, like you said, it, it can be just because, yeah. uh, yeah, every company in the industry has really been, um, this has just been this, this big push. I think we we're seeing this real big resurgence where, you know, it's about as popular as it was in the nineties. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Next thing we need is, uh, you know, another World Cup race here in the States. And uh, yeah, we need we need a Lance Armstrong that doesn't do drugs that rides mountain bike. <laughs> <laughs> so um, somebody was asking here a minute ago, um, can you ship? Can they ship to you? Mm -hmm. So how does that Absolutely. process work out? Uh, so there's a little uh, form on the website. You can either uh, fill that out or just send me an email or give me a call. You know, as long as we touch base and I kind of expect it your, to come, your yeah. stuff to show up. Uh, but yeah, you just box it up uh ship it out to me i'll fix it and put it back in the box so do you charge them shipping on the way back or? there is a shipping charge on the way back uh -huh. yeah but uh cool yeah but so, it's super easy and um so if they live somewhere they don't have somebody that can do the right the loof i'm screwing it up loof cop yeah yeah loof cop yep that's it Luf yeah there are a few dealers are uh, around but um yeah, you can just send it in or yeah, I've even got them in, in house if people, uh, you know, feel comfortable installing them on their own. I also carry the necessary tools to be able to do it on your own as well. So, yeah. What is one of the most common things that you see with people that bring in to get like their, their stuff worked on? You know, uh, you see a little bit of everything. Uh -huh. Yeah, I would say that the one thing is, um, 
you know, really uh, for people that store their, their bikes upright, I can always tell. I can always tell if, if your bike goes into the garage upright, it stays like that until you ride because your foam rings, which are below the dust wipers are so upright, meaning like you're, you're putting the front no, wheel upright, like uh, wheels on the ground. Oh, so normal, like yeah, how nor it? normal, how, how it would be going down the trail. Uh -huh. uh, I'll always notice that their dust wipers are always much more dry oh. and that is going to be a pretty critical thing. So I store my bike by the front wheel in the house. That's interesting. I was going to ask you that and. I was told like back in, maybe it was the back in the day problem. Like yeah. if you held it up there like yeah. that, it kind of, well, we had like, so there were like some Margura brakes that would like let air in. And yeah, uh -huh. there was all sorts of weird things about, about putting your fork upside down, but no, there, there's no harm to it uh, oh. by leaving your fork upside down. When essentially you're telling us it's actually less harm in it. Now, it would actually, so. it's actually beneficial. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because again, right below those rubber dust wipers, you have uh, this foam ring. Uh -huh. The job of that foam ring is to hold lubrication above the top bushing. Right. And if you let your bike just sit upright, all of the fluid that's in that foam ring, well, gravity does its work, it draws it all out, and then it's dry. So I have to reevaluate my whole fucking garage now. I know. <laughs> so here's, no, here's a cool trick is that you don't have to store your bike upside down or by the front wheel, but when you get to the trailhead, you know, you've got some shoes to put on. I'm sure you got to put your helmet on. You got to put your uh -huh. gloves on. You got to grab your pack. Uh, flip your bike upside down while yeah. you're waiting. Just put it upside down. Yeah. And then that will, uh, or you can just flip it up and hold it. I know some people are really worried about scratching their shifters and their grips yeah. and everything. So I'm you not can too also worried about flip, scratching things. Yeah, I, you can I also, yeah flip it upside <laughs> down. Let, let that fluid, you know, kind of drain its way back down. At least get some of it back up to the top. And uh, that's another really good thing just for that initial stiction to mm -hmm. off the top. Because if you're... If both bushings are totally dry, you know, then yeah, it's gonna it's gonna feel terrible at first. What's one of those things where it's like a telltale sign of like somebody when they look at their bike, dude, you really need to take this thing in to get serviced. Is it just like you, um, you notice oil all over the a whole bike or just suspension? Just suspension one. Uh, yeah, I mean that that's obviously the biggest indicator is um you so know, yeah. If you're having a lot of seals, um if your seals are already leaking you're already past, way past your service interval. Right. Because all the seals that they're using now, both RockShox and Fox use seals made by SKF. So like, so like if you go to buy a used bike or you're on your bike and you push the fork down and it comes up and there's like a noticeable amount of liquid on there, um, it, it, yeah. it's time. To Unless it were like just freshly serviced. Right. You know, if it's just freshly serviced, sure, there, there's gonna be for a little part, bit of residual. For the most part, it pretty much dry. Yeah, for the yeah. most part. Right on. Definitely. Some shocks are better than others as far as like their ability to retain that lubrication. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say, you know, Fox, as far as rear shocks, definitely has, you know, probably some of the nicer dust wipers out there. So mm -hmm. it tends to kind of hold everything inside a little bit better. So you'll notice certain model shocks do a little bit more weeping mm -hmm. of that lubrication fluid than others will. Um, a little bit of weeping is okay. But if you're getting like, a solid amount every time you wipe it off the same amounts there next time you mm -hmm. wipe it off uh probably time yeah yeah definitely and the same thing goes with the rear and the seat pretty much same thing mm -hmm. seats are a lot harder to tell actually um most of the time that the stanchion part that slides into the post like that seal up there doesn't hold air in it's really just keeping dirt out mm -hmm. um so it can be kind of hard to tell when that interval is because even if you're seat post was losing fluid it would be on the inside of your bike and you wouldn't really be able right. to see it right so 
tell you in your bottom bracket out and the woof. <laughs> yep. yep, exactly. So um, just making sure, you know, time intervals are, are pretty important. I know, you know, again, like we're saying, you know, sometimes it doesn't seem like that many hours, um, but it's, it's mostly about preventative maintenance too. You know, it's mm -hmm. just making sure that you're not uh, on your trip to Moab and your seat post fails. Right. You know, or you're, you're not mm -hmm. in Whistler and all of a sudden your air camps on your rear shock stops holding air. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I'd say that's probably the one of the more important parts about just making sure that you keep everything maintained because, uh, God, I would be real bummed out if I made it all the way to Whistler and, uh, yeah. you know, my bike blew up. So let's talk religion on seat posts here. Do you clamp your 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 seat post on the post part or on the stanchion part? Preferably you would want to clamp it on the post part. Okay. Because uh, some people say if you squeeze that too much, then it like bends it and then it doesn't work. And then uh, the other people, the other side is like, oh, if you scratch the stanchion, then it lets the, you know, it doesn't sure. work right. So. Yeah. So kind of mo model dependent. Um, so the one, you know, I just said that that dust wiper on the top doesn't really hold anything in. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not true on all the seat posts. Um, if you had a bad seal right there on like a specialized command post, mm -hmm. uh, that would that would allow air to you know to start leaking so scratches on a command post stanchion a lot more of a big deal than they would be on a ks or a, a transfer post or a reverb uh -huh. um that being said i think more what you would be concerned about is maybe not necessarily scratching it because again it's not really sealing anything in uh but more if you've got like let's say you've twisting your bike up next and you're putting all that load on the bushings mm -hmm. i'd say that would probably be a, a little bit bigger of a deal um but if you throw a rag around your stanchion and clamp it in there uh probably no big deal it's not gonna it's not gonna break the seat post yeah yeah i would imagine because i have um behind you a uh a 170 and that i got from uh, pnw and on my reverb that I have, because I ride a smaller frame. I used to came from a BMX background. Oh, I, I hear like you. Yeah, that yeah, twi yeah. twitchiness, you know. Uh -huh. So because of that, my seat post is up pretty hard, how far. I can get it, no problem. But I'm imagining with that 170, it's going to be kind of in an awkward spot. So. Yeah. Like I said, it's it's not going to break your seat post if you clamp it on the stanchion. Um, cool. That's good to know. Maybe what uh, about if you less, like less ideal, sure. Yeah. But a total no no. I've had a wreck before where it like kicked my my seat kind of like like if you're looking at a clock, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. kind of moved it to like one o'clock or sure. nine o'clock or something like that. Um, does that ruin the seat post? It, like it shouldn't. It, no. So so you should just be able to stand up and just like give it the old BMX kick and preferably you okay. just you want to loosen the seat collar and you know do it do it that way would be uh, the more ideal way to do it because uh -huh. you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to wear the brass keys out any more than you had to. So you're saying to just twist the seat collar. I would, yeah. If if, if, you, took a, if you took a crash and you've got tools on you, there's no reason why you shouldn't just crack it loose real quick, straighten it, tighten it. So you're just saying right there in the frame, though, not like open up the the the. Seat. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So if if it does twist, it's mm -hmm. always going to be the lower post twisting in the frame. Oh, so it, it, yeah, it's like never going to actually Correct. Just twist. Yeah, see, because when that happened to me, I just thought the internal part. Oh twisted. yeah, yeah. So. If your internal part were twisting, uh, you would know real quick. Yeah. Yeah, because it would do that while you're riding. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, so there there are several uh, keys, you know, that that stop the round post from twisting. Similar, uh -huh. like we were talking, we're talking earlier about the, about the lefty. They yeah. use four square edges. Uh -huh. Instead of square edges, they machine these notches into the round post. 
and then they've got these round brass keys that okay. sit in there. Yeah, and then there are also matching keys on right. the outer post. So those slide in. And they allow the you know right. enough play to where there's it's not going to bind while it's right. traveling up and down, um, but, but it's, it's not going to be sloppy either. So when it, it spun, it spun in in the frame. It did, yeah, it moved the lower post into yeah. the frame. Yeah, well, that's good to know. Yeah. Uh -huh. So yeah, no big deal. Right on. Just just loosen it up and uh, yeah. So if you were building, um, let's see here. Let's take a look at the time. So if you're building your um, kind of enduro bike of your dreams, uh -huh. what rear suspension, fork, and seat post would you buy? Um, so what's on the market right now? Uh -huh. uh, fork wise, I'm gonna I would stick with the 36. Uh, and my choice of damper for the 36, because obviously I think I'm good. Okay. Uh, there's a few different choices that uh, that you've got there. Uh, they've got their older RC2 damper, which is great. And they've got the Fit4 damper, which is going to be a little bit of an underdog, I think, that uh, for most people. They've got the new Grip2 damper, which is replacing the RC2. Uh, I'm actually riding a Fit4 damper, which will probably surprise a lot of the people. Uh -huh. And the reason I'm doing that is because I've got some uh, upgrade parts in there, again, from the Vorsprung guys. Uh -huh. And that turns that climb switch, deletes the climb switch. you got mm -hmm. no more lockout. And it turns it into a high-speed compression adjuster. Mm -hmm. So as opposed to other high-speed compression adjusters on the market where you've got 25 clicks of adjustment, and mm -hmm. if you wanted to change it for a different trail, you'd have to go, okay, I'm riding this one. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, you know. Right. Oh, and then we go back. One, two, three, four, five, six. Uh -huh. So using the Fit4 setup with the Vorsprung upgrade, I just have three positions. Mm -hmm. I just got full open. I got a little bit firmer, and I got a little bit more firm than that. Uh -huh. And that is uh, by far the probably the best damping setup that I've ran. Uh, so it would be 36 in the front, mm -hmm. full Vorsprung treatment. I uh, got the lift cop on the air side and then, the, you know, their damper upgrade on the fit for rear shock. Uh, the new <laughs> DPX two. It's pretty rad. Mm -hmm. uh, ultimately. Who's that by Fox? Okay. Yep. Uh, so it's sort of it's just a different idea than their float X two. So the float X two is great. You know, you've got your high speed and low speed, both compression and rebound. Whereas the DPX two lacks on some of those external adjustments. Uh, but, Depending on the bike that you're riding, the spring on the DPX2 might feel better than the Float X2. The Float X2 is made to be really linear, try to match a coil feel as much as they could. So your take right now is, aside from upgrading it, that Fox has the market. They make some really good stuff. Uh -huh. It's, uh, you know, I, I know. I would imagine that's where you're going with the dropper too. Yeah. It seems like transfer Tran is Transfer the is, yeah, I think yeah. they've got a new benchmark. Um, yeah, I think they definitely, I mean, there's not a guy that I, I know that's like loving the reverb more than the guys that have the transfer. Right. So. And I mean, Rock Shocks made, uh, they made some, a lot of good steps, I would say. In the, in the reverb, they've gone through a couple. Uh, there's one part specifically that separates the uh, positive pressure from the oil. Mm -hmm. And that's gone through a couple redesigns. And, and the newest IFP version is way 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 more reliable than anything has been in the past for the reverbs mm -hmm. so we're seeing a lot less of them uh you know fail prematurely uh they all seem to last you know as long as they should these days mm -hmm. uh so that's cool but rock shocks i mean well fox anyways excuse me they, they definitely have the corner of the market as far as uh you know spare parts mm -hmm. uh rebuildability 
you know, you can you can have a product of theirs for, you know, for a little bit while and you're not going to have to worry if, if that one little part inside, you know. So they, they're pretty good at keeping their their stuff for long term and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, so that would I, I would say yeah, would be the big draw to the transfer. But and it just works. Are you one of those people that has like a bunch of their legacy stuff, too? Like, I know a buddy of mine bought like a specialized epic that had like some special fork that or shock that like. The brain. Specialized did just yeah, for them the or brain. something like that. And he had to like send it to some dude in like Idaho to get worked on because yeah. nobody had the shit, you know? Yeah, the, the brains are a little unique in their setup. Uh, you know, they're totally a, a product of specialized R&D department and their mm -hmm. suspension program. Uh, and then they basically just contract uh, for a while for the rear shocks. It was Fox that was mm -hmm. making all the, the brain rear shocks. And now on the new 2018 stuff, RockShox is making it. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, that's just the the company deciding how they want their bike to ride and what they decided was they needed something that wasn't offered on the market so let's design our own thing and then we'll just have uh, somebody make it but I, I don't so at what point do people need to be worried about like hey this is probably not serviceable like if they're going to go buy a used bike or they have a bike that they maybe they got into mountain bike and got out of it they want to start riding again sure so and even even some of the more proprietary stuff uh like the lefties or like the brain shocks they're all gonna be serviceable it's just that your options as to where or who will service it are, are going to be more limited than mm -hmm. if it's a, a mainstream product so it's not a matter of like getting the seals or anything like that it's just a matter of like who wants to even bother like uh, or well tools and mostly it's uh, it mostly kind of boils down to tools um so the newer products just have something different like they're just and, like, so this also goes back to just fitting everything we need to fit into a mountain bike shock mm -hmm. you know like there are you know automobile shocks and whatever you can take them apart with big hand tools and whatever but we're trying to do all of the same stuff in this little itty bitty package. Mm -hmm. So in order to do that, a lot of times companies will design a part uh, and then they'll go, oh, how do we install it or get, and then they'll make their own tool to, to get it uh, in or get it out. So a lot of the times it's, yeah, just getting that. So that's the part where it hangs up the do it yourself or like, right. it's not worth it to go buy the tool if you're only gonna do right. this like a couple of times or something yeah. like that. Yeah, you know, if, I mean, to do transfer seat posts, it's, uh, you know, you could just, buy another transfer seat posts. Yeah. It would be less expensive than buying all the tools. To that fix was it. one of those things for me, like when I was like looking at, you know, like a, a cup tool to push bearings and stuff like that, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I don't know how often I'm going to use this and get right. a decent set. They're like a couple hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how many times? I don't know. I don't yeah. know. You know, yeah, and you gotta, yeah, gotta weigh that, uh, yeah. that benefit out there. Like it's great to be able to do stuff on your own, but yeah, if you're, yeah. If you're going to spend more money to set yourself up to do it on your own, then, mm -hmm. you know, might tool, not tool wise, are you a park guy or a Pedro's guy? Um, I got a little bit of both actually. Yeah. yeah. So whatever does the job. Better. Uh, both of them do a couple tools better than the other person does. What, so, what's your favorite park I, one and your favorite Pedro one? Um, when, you know, so this, they came out with this one a while ago, but their star, their uh, star nut setter. Uh huh. Pretty rad. Pedro? No, nope, Park Tools. Park. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if Pedro has a newer one that I haven't used out yet, but um, yeah, the Park one when they they did their redesign from their like original series, uh -huh. uh, pretty rad. Sets the depth for you, lines uh -huh. it up straight. Right on. It's a pretty cool little tool. How about Pedro? You got a favor with them? Um, Pedro's uh, for crank pullers actually. If you're just gonna have like one of the little crank pullers, uh -huh. not like one that you attach a ratchet to, 
Uh, Pedro's has both the little attachment for like a, a ISIS or a square taper, like oh, kind of okay. already in it. Yeah, um, yeah. I know most most cranks these days are all two piece, so you don't really need tools to remove them anymore. Yeah. Um, but for for bike mechanics out there, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're looking for a new uh, crank puller, right? The Pedro's one's. Yeah, no, cool. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. The Pedro's tool that I that I ended up, I was, I'm one of those guys that want to keep buying the same thing just because I I'm like OCD, so. But yeah, I broke every, down. Yeah. It's, all, it's either all going to be yellow or yeah, it's all yeah, going to be blue. Yeah. I broke down with the Pedro's because they had that third hand. I don't know if Park yep. makes that too. They do. They do. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And then there's a, there's actually, uh, I don't know if Hosanna is still making tools or not, but uh, they had a third hand that was that, yeah. that was pretty good too. So for those of you guys that don't know what the third hand is, the third hand is like a little tool that will allow you to like put tension on a derailleur cable or I guess a brake cable if mm -hmm. you're still using cables for your brakes and um, be able to hold it in place while you go, you know, grab the other tool that you needed or yep. spin the uh, the nut to tighten it up or something like that. You so. know, uh, they also work really good for tightening zip ties. Oh yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. it totally makes sense. Yeah, it's like, it's a, you don't have to buy another zip tie gun if you've already got a third hand, so. <laughs> so um, let's, let's one more time. If people want to to get a hold of you, it's fullflowsuspension.com. Yeah, fullflowsuspension.com. Uh -huh. And uh, or you can give me a buzz. It's uh, uh 530. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's 530-537-2645 for, for anybody who wanted to write it down. And yeah, uh, yeah, give me a buzz. Uh, phone calls are definitely uh, a way to at least get me on the phone right away and you know we can kind of chat about what we what you need to and uh, you said for the most part your turnaround time at this point is about 48 two, two, three hours. days, yeah. yeah. Two, three days. Yeah. Right on, man. Is there anything else that uh, that you want to bring up in the suspension? No, I, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I can always come back, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think it would be fun to probably maybe do a video of, of like installing that thing or something like that. That would, that yeah, would be yeah, yeah, we got to get you set up with one. Yeah, definitely. How about this? One last thing before we go. Um, for somebody that has like a low-end fork or a low-end shock, is it worth the money to try to like get some like cool toys added to it or is it better to spend that money to just get a new shock um ultimately hate to say it uh it's going to depend on what you're starting with uh -huh. um let's just say you're starting with the kind of the entry level shock entry level fork. um if you're if you're starting entry level like fox fork um you know, you're probably, you know, it's going to be pretty decent on its own. You know, you're not going to have the same options as far as upgrades that you have. But, um, you know, ultimately it depends on, on you know, your, how how much you're using it, you know, kind of where you're riding, what what you're, you know, kind of what you want, actually want out of the fork. There's nothing's going to replace having the nicest stuff on the market. You know, right. I mean, th that's for sure. But that being said, you know, I'd say some some solid time with with setup, getting to know what the adjusters do, getting it into a good spot for yourself is going to be better than if you just buy an expensive fork and don't take the time to set it up. Mm -hmm. So I, I would ultimately say, yeah, setup is going to be the first part. That's where everybody. Don't some of the start. lower end shocks though not have like the the options to change things like that. When you when you start to get down, yeah, to a certain level, then yeah, they, there may just not be the adjustments. Mm -hmm. um, but even so, just as far as like air pressure, you know, and, uh -huh. just, and just getting your your ride height or your sag uh, set in the in a an appropriate place, and um, you know, kind of going from there is a a good place to start. But like I said, there's there's no replacement for uh, you know all this top notch stuff that's out there these days. Um, right on. 
just works out well. Sweet. Yeah. Hey, Mike, it's been awesome yeah, for having, having you here and chatting. I've definitely learned a lot. Um, I don't know how much of it I'll retain, but I definitely got down in my head, call full flow suspension <laughs> and, uh, and, and work with you because you definitely know a lot, lot more than I do. Um, appreciate your time yeah, here tonight. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody watching or listening at home. Um, this is on every Sunday, the biker bar at 5 PM PST. If you want to look for it on podcast, it's on Apple podcast. It's on Google play and it's on sound sound cloud. If I could speak fucking English tonight, I will. And, uh, that's it, man. I hope you guys all enjoyed the show until next week. Remember it only takes a bike to be a biker. Get the fuck out and be one bitches. Ha, 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 ha.